is generally accepted that the founding of Rome, the Eternal City, occurred around 750 BC. Over the centuries, legends have attributed the city's origin to the twins Romulus and Remus, who were famously sired by the Roman deity Mars, raised by a she-wolf, and in time-honored tradition waged war with their neighbors to establish a kingdom. What's not up for debate is that the ensuing impact of the city of Rome on human history, science, engineering, and culture has been immeasurable. In the modern era, a new kind of twin is emerging on the landscape and helping to shape the cities of tomorrow. Called digital twins, these technological marvels seek to create extremely accurate virtual replicas of objects in the real world. And the application of digital twin technology is finding its way into a variety of sectors, including healthcare and manufacturing. Welcome to If Win, Jacob's series of interviews exploring the world of emerging technologies. I'm Paul Teese, your host, and in this episode of If Win, we will be discussing digital twins with Dr. Jonathan Reichenthal, founder and CEO of Human Future, and Dr. Raja Kadiyala, Jacob's Global Director for Digital Solutions and the Jacob's Connected Enterprise. A multiple award-winning technology leader whose 30-year career has spanned both the private and public sectors, Dr. Jonathan Reichenthal was named a Top 100 Chief Information Officer in the world in 2017, and in 2016, he was named one of the Top 20 Most Influential CIOs in the United States. He is recognized as a global thought leader on a number of emerging trends, including the Fourth Industrial Revolution, Urban Innovation, the Future of Cities, and Blockchain Technology. In 2013, he was recognized as one of the 25 doers, dreamers, and drivers in government in America, and his innovative work in government has also been recognized by the White House. In his role as the Global Director for Digital Solutions and the Jacobs Connected Enterprise, Dr. Raja Kadiyala is focused on smart infrastructure and digital offerings. He is responsible for technology leadership, service and solution offerings, and marketing across a multitude of digital practice areas, including artificial intelligence, digital twins, Internet of Things and smart sensors, data analytics, simulation and optimization, IT integration, real-time networking, control systems, smart metering, and security, both physical and cybersecurity. Jonathan and Raja, thank you both for joining me today. I'd like to start us off with a question for Jonathan. And our first question is, what are some use cases of digital twin technology that impress you the most currently? And what excites you about where the technology will be in the near future? Yeah, thanks for that question, Paul. I think what I'm most impressed with is first, the rate at which the digital twin technology is emerging. It went from something that nobody was talking about just a few years ago to being something very high profile right now and with an adoption rate that's really surprising. You know, we're seeing it certainly in the manufacturing space. There's no question that if you're building machines or complex devices, building smart factories, good chance you're using digital twin technology. You know, the numbers in terms of adoption, you know, anywhere up to 30% now of large-scale manufacturing organizations are adopting, and that'll only increase in the years ahead. Beyond manufacturing, I'm really intrigued by what some of the experimentation work that's been done in healthcare, not only in creating twins of hospitals and the different moving pieces of a healthcare network, but also for the human body. Some really fascinating stuff being done to prepare surgeons for operations by creating first a virtual replica of a person and then conducting the operation and then doing it on the real person. And then uh, I think the third one, and very close to my heart, 
is the digital twin of the urban environment. You're beginning to see now cities embrace the interesting information that can be gleaned from a digital twin of a, either a block or an entire city. And, you know, you look at Singapore and they've just spun up an entire digital twin of the whole city, nation, state of Singapore. And they could do some really cool things, which I think we'll probably talk about during this podcast. Raj, I have the same question for you. And obviously in your position with Jacobs, you see a lot of work being done in built environments and in smart city development and whatnot. So the question is, what are some use cases of digital twin technology that impress you the most now and where it's going here in the near future? You know, the ability to apply digital twins across the entire asset life cycle is a great use case that ends up spanning into multiple sub-use cases. So going from planning, design, and construction, and operation, and having a digital twin then that lives through that entire life cycle. So as we're sitting down with some clients and visioning what that initial asset or building or facility is going to look like during the planning phase and visioneering that, and then going on into design where we can go ahead and look at thousands of different design alternatives and, and apply optimization to it to come back with a set of candidate designs that uh, we wouldn't have been able to do in the past. And have that really drive uh, some very interesting optimization the components to get better performance out of an asset or perhaps meet uh, other aesthetic constraints. And then merging that during the construction phase with IoT data to make sure that constructing it in an eco-friendly manner, making sure that we're adhering to safety confines and constraints as the facilities being built will come into play. And then lastly, operations. You're going to be operating that given asset or facility for a number of years, much longer than it took to design it. So making sure that we're optimally operating that asset through the utilization of a digital twin and making sure that we're able to track if the asset is operating conditions that normally we don't see and we need to take corrective actions. The digital twin really has a great impact on the operation side as well. Talking about the Internet of Things and some of those emerging technologies that run adjacent to digital twins, you know, I was looking at some recent research by Gartner, and they said that 24% of organizations that either have an IoT solution in production or they have projects, IoT projects in progress, already use digital twins. So that's about a quarter of those organizations there speculating. And they say another 42% plan to use twins within the next three years. Jonathan, my question for you would be, in deploying digital twin technology for future city planning, do you see it being increasingly dependent on distributed or decentralized technologies such as IoT and edge computing, autonomous things, and distributed clouds? Yeah, I really do. I mean, I think we're at the beginning of this journey. There are some leading cities in the world that are beginning to deploy IoT for traffic management and water management and air quality. It's not as pervasive as perhaps journals and media would have us believe, but we're heading in the right direction. Part of the challenge, of course, is the technology still evolving. There has to be a dialogue between city leadership and the community about privacy. Also, sometimes in certain communities, certain neighborhoods, people don't like the look of the sensors, you know, hanging up on the poles and things. So there's There's a lot to be considered. Now, all that being said, we're likely to see quite pervasive use of various types of sensors embedded in our urban infrastructure. And whilst each of those can deliver a certain result, 
for example, again, detecting the quality of air or even noise detection. Once the data is available to the city in a managed way, that can be harvested for building out some complex digital renderings of the city. You know, you mix that with some geospatial information that typically cities require. And suddenly you have the beginning of a dynamic, responsive twin that can be useful for a whole range of things, from looking at energy consumption, various places in the community, to the movement of products and goods and people, the state of traffic. I think that there's going to be certain areas of our economy that blossom under digital twins. And urban infrastructure and smart cities is going to be one of the real winners as digital twin technology becomes more affordable, more accessible, more known, and the sensors in our urban environment become more pervasive. It's fascinating because you think about all the data that gets generated in an environment and how that's captured. It's one thing to build a digital twin of like a closed system like human anatomy or something on a small scale, but question for you, Raja, is uh, around scalability challenges. What are the scalability challenges for building a digital twin and how do you overcome those? To me, it seems like a citywide digital twin would be a much, much harder thing to build than, say, a city block or a building or a floor or a room or something more close. How do you overcome scalability challenges for something like an urban landscape? Once you start scaling up beyond that single building or a single block to a citywide or even a regional-wide digital twin effort, the data capture and what I refer to as data wrangling efforts really begin to scale up as well. We asked a number of our clients probably about two years ago, what are some of the largest challenges you guys face with respect to implementing digital twins and then also AI technology? And data quality came back as the top item, 100% of the respondents felt that uh, data quality was hampering their ability to really implement some of these solutions. So when you think about that challenge that they have and then the need to do proper data governance and making sure that what you have is accurate and, and making sure that you're handling change management is pretty important. We were just talking about IoT, Doing data validation as close to the source as you can is pretty darn important. We're currently doing an effort for a client where once we started looking at their historical data and the data that is coming in from actual sensors, a lot of it was poor. So we're needing to actually utilize AI models to do data infilling to then actually have that digital twin work in real time and give us the proper responses, not have it drift too far off due to improper sensor values. So that data quality is going to definitely be a challenge. So making sure that you have proper data governance, making sure that you are doing data validation, you aren't basing decisions on invalid data, and then also having local ownership. I mean, think about uh, building out the digital twin in a modular fashion where different people can go and own different pieces, and then you have to work out how those all interact together at the larger scale. Because if you try and tackle it as a whole by yourself, that scale is going to really be daunting. Data really is becoming its own kind of currency. And I can see organizations obviously having to do some transactional work where they're sharing data to help inform data sets and and training sets for AI. And then when you fold in data privacy concerns, things like, like in Europe with the GDPR, does kind of raise some interesting questions on how that data not only is captured and it's clean, but then it's also shared. And so Jonathan, a question for you is, 
are there certain governance methods that are ubiquitous across digital twins, regardless of how you're using them? Or are there certain ones that are tailored to specific things like around healthcare twins will have a different set of challenges than say urban planning digital twins would have? Can you talk to us a little bit about governance methodology and how you see that playing itself out? Let's start by recognizing that whatever security is required in a certain domain will obviously apply to digital twin technology. So in the healthcare space, which I think is probably one of our most regulated areas for data in our economy, the same rules, of course, will apply to digital twins. I think what we've got to do then is think about what's different. And I think that's what's key to your question. How should we think differently? There's a few things that jump out to me. Number one is, I don't think we're at a place where the security of IoT devices is where they need to be yet. And then thinking about data flowing through the entire supply chain of data, right through to the digital twin itself, and then the reporting afterwards. There's lots of different potential vectors for challenges that could occur. Having the data breached or the integrity of the data changed, or as uh, Raju was saying, even feeding bad data into the ecosystem. And then it's all worthless if you're not dealing with the best data you have and accurate data. There's quite a number of different vulnerabilities as you know, data flows from a device back to a source to a digital twin. So I think we have to think deeply about IT. It's not even just in the digital twin space, but generally, as we think about more and more of these devices that we're putting on the internet that are talking to us and talking to each other, we do need to up our cybersecurity game. And when it comes to really sensitive data, that is doubly, triply, quadruply important to ensure. These are some of the key areas that I think about. You know, the last point, I guess, would be one of the benefits of digital twin ecosystems is that there are lots of participants. It could be, obviously, the engineers. Then there's other management stakeholders, but then you bring in external stakeholders, like the vendors who maybe are collaborating with you on design or even monitoring data during operations of a physical and digital device or digital replica. So because of the nature of a pretty varied set of stakeholders, I think that elevates, again, the importance of ensuring that only the right people have access at the right time. Not that that's significantly different from other challenges we have in the information space, but we just got to ensure that we're paying appropriate attention to it in the digital twin space. Raja, on that point, drilling down just a little bit in terms of your area of expertise with Jacobs and with the built environments and engineering and construction, how do you see concerns around cybersecurity and data privacy being mitigated for digital twins involving construction and city planning? There are two pieces of that question. First, data anonymization is pretty critical. Making sure that the data that we do gather is properly cleansed and you can't really infer additional information from that data on a particular person is pretty critical. We're seeing more and more of our clients take a big step in that process. And, and you have to think about it holistically because you may be dealing with one piece of the data. And then uh, if you properly anonymize that, then that's great. But then if you fuse it or link it together with another data set that perhaps somebody else is dealing with, then is that giving somebody the ability to hop from your data set to somebody else's data set to then infer personal information about somebody? So that holistic approach is definitely something that we're seeing more and more of our clients take a look at. On the cybersecurity side, there's certainly the cyber components that come into play within the network, but then there's also impact with regards to how people that are in control of these systems, how they manage them. 
making sure that they're properly trained, making sure that they aren't open to potentially social engineering attacks, which actually often end up being one of the main vectors for intrusions is is somebody thinking that they're talking to somebody in an authoritative position and, and disclosing information that allows that person to then gain access. So making sure that staff is properly trained and actually has gone through exercises. So we do that a lot with clients where we'll simulate some of these attacks in environments to make sure that they properly respond. Having that proper stance and then also making sure you have the proper remediation to be able to recover from an incident. Jonathan, do you think we will see a greater push for the use of blockchain technologies to enable the sharing of data across systems? and among disparate groups that might want to share data to feed their twins. It may happen. It's not happening yet. It does seem like a good use case. You know, we're still trying to figure out what roles blockchain can play in the enterprise. And there's areas where it's working well and getting adopted quite rapidly. And then there's other areas where it remains quite experimental. When you think about transparency, integrity, in blockchain, we talk about this notion of provenance and traceability. So the provenance, you can track a transaction or the state of something from its very origination. And then subsequently, every other transaction tells you the story of that thing or that transaction. If you can think of a scenario where all those would be beneficial, then you probably have a case for experimenting with blockchain. I'd love to see some of the results of some experimentation before I really comment on this. I'm pretty bullish on blockchain technology generally as the way to store an item's value and transact them in a way that our traditional databases have struggled. So we'll see, you know, time will tell. If you do some research on this, many of the leading digital twin vendors are talking about it. My guess is that they're probably in some stage of developing something for our customers to evaluate. I think the next year or two, we'll probably see some practical implementations of it. So I'll have a better answer. If Raja or yourself know of any particular instances, that would be great to share as well. We're seeing some of our clients where they'll have an asset that ends up getting touched by multiple people utilizing blockchain. I think about rail cars as an example. So that may be owned by one entity, but then as it traverses, somebody else is doing maintenance on that particular asset and somebody else is loading stuff onto it. So in that situation, you have multiple folks that are essentially touching that asset as it's moving around the country and making sure you understand everything that's happened to it over time in a shared, trusted environment is pretty darn important. So blockchain really makes a lot of sense in that situation. Paul, you had mentioned Gartner before. If you take a look at the hype cycle for blockchain and the hype cycle tracks a given technology through its maturity cycle, Blockchain right now is in the trough of disillusionment. So it has this initial peak of inflated expectations where everybody thinks it's going to be the greatest thing. And then they start applying it and it goes through some reality crunches and then people make some revisions or apply it a little differently. And then it gets into the more stable regime. And oftentimes that's where our clients will end up where it gets into that plateau of stable implementation. Shifting gears a little bit in terms of environmental impact and the use of digital twins to help future-proof for that, I was looking at Goldman Sachs' 2019 report on cities. They said that cities are already home to 55% of the world's population, and that share, as projected by the United Nations, will rise to 68% by 2050. It's like over 6.7 billion people will live in cities. 
And so cities are obviously the very important. They generate 80% of the global GDP. They consume 75% of the world's natural resources. So the question, and this is for you, Raja, obviously a lot of what Jacobs is doing is helping mitigate environmental challenges that cities and urban planning might be faced with. Do you see digital twins being used as instruments to help cities adapt for climate change challenges? And then a question for you and for Jonathan, but for you first, Raja, is are there any cities now that you would point to who are leading the way in that regard? We actually have a lot of capabilities in the flood modeling arena and utilize that capability to develop digital twins of the potential impact of rising sea level. You know, one of the interesting apps that we've demonstrated is a little augmented reality application where you could be standing in front of a certain area and then show what the potential flood impact is and see how high the water would be rising in that given area. And that'd be something great for homeowners and then also insurance agents as they determine what the potential risk factor is to their clients. We have a platform called Replica that allows us to quickly build digital twins based on data and processes. We're using those day in, day out to actually help our clients better manage their resiliency efforts. I was just in Singapore, and some of the things that they're doing are quite incredible on the resiliency side and in utilizing digital twins. Jonathan mentioned a little bit of some of what they're doing on the digital twin side, but you think about Singapore, how flat it is. I think the highest elevation point in the entire country is somewhere like 150 meters above sea level. So the potential impact to their manufacturing, their facilities is huge. So utilizing digital twins to better understand that and then also look at different design alternatives that they can utilize to remediate that challenge is a great use case for digital twins. Jonathan, are there other locations that you might point to? Some best demonstrated practices in the use of digital twins, their sustainability and climate change challenges? There's a lot of work being done to visualize what-if scenarios. One argument I'd make is that they don't fully conform yet to the true definition of a digital twin, you know, and that they are fully sensor-enabled real-time data. But there are many, many tools that think about two overlapping circles of features, and there's a lot of overlap between 3D geospatial information systems and a future that we envisage with digital twins. The world alone of cities who use full feature-rich digital twin technologies is very, very small, very small right now. But the world of cities that are looking at, for example, the impacts of sea level rise or different levels of catastrophes, tornadoes and hurricanes, other climate-driven events, that technology is quite broadly used and uses maybe legacy data, pull it into your 3D visualization tool, and then you can slice and dice it from different angles entered some data and sort of say, what happens if the scenario is like this, as bad as this, versus what happens if it's like this? So kind of a blended answer in that if you wanted to count all the 3D GIS stuff, that's quite broadly used in the United States, around Europe and, and beyond. But the purest digital twin, like they're doing in Singapore and a couple of cities in India, still it's a small group that's beginning to grow. I do think we'll see that transition, particularly as we have more real-time sensors in the environment that allow us to bring in true live environmental data of a city at any point in time during the day. I was thinking as I was listening to you, do you think we will see, maybe we're already seeing, our governments starting to use digital twins of existing cities to model how they're building new cities, like in areas where previously maybe a city didn't exist? 
not necessarily using digital twins and AI on an existing cityscape, but taking learnings from what exists today and then using that to build something new. I'd heard that China, for instance, was looking at building AI-designed cities where none had existed before, but are we seeing anything like that where we're taking existing cities and using digital twins and whatnot to inform how we might build new urban environments? I'm not familiar. That doesn't mean it's not happening. It's a good one to sort of research a little bit. I would go back to this distinction between a 3D GIS versus a fully-fledged digital twin architecture. You get more in the 3D GIS side. Not familiar with you know any particular project that's underway in the world today, building a a greenfield city that's using, and I, I imagine some pretty neat tech has been used for that. I did want to just mention, struck me as worth sharing, mm-hmm. this idea of uh, generative design. So one of the state-of-the-art features of whether it's 3D printing or digital twins is this idea that you don't have to know the end state, but you put in what you desire it to be, what kind of conditions you'd like it to be in, and then the AI that's part of the digital twin technology spits out a whole set of different outcomes based on your criteria. A mix between AI and human input can choose the best design that you want ultimately. And it seems to me that whilst that's amazing for building cars and machines and wind turbines and engines, and it seems to be remarkably useful, would be, I guess will be used for building future cities where we can do things like, for example, say the population may range from this number to this number, might have access to this kind of infrastructure continue to put in those types of criteria. And then through generative design, the computers effectively spit out the optimum design and then we get to choose. I think that's going to be really interesting. And Raja, are you seeing that with your clients? Is there some exploration of generative design and digital twins and new urban planning? Yeah. And one thing I want to dive into is this concept of synthetic data generation, because as we talk about AI and algorithms to do automated design and generative design, you need to make sure that you are have had some proper training of those algorithms and having a labeled data set that goes into a neural network training algorithm is pretty important. What we're beginning to do is utilize digital twins and our domain knowledge and some of our first principles knowledge on how things operate to embed that within a digital twin, which is then going to go through a bunch of different scenarios and actually generate what we refer to as synthetic data. So this isn't data that was necessarily from a specific physical element, something that was more in the simulation environment, but we're able to have certain outcomes embedded in that synthetic data, which then creates these labeled data sets, which is really what a neural network system needs to have to properly train. So then that allows us to accelerate the actual AI algorithm training process for us to get systems that embed some of our domain knowledge and some of our past experience within other cities to be able to generate or design that next iteration of it. So the utilization of digital twins for synthetic data generation to then be able to drive some of those AI algorithms is something that we're seeing some good traction on to get better convergence on those AI algorithms. So my next question, and this is a question for both of you, and I'll start with you, Jonathan. Mm -hmm. How do you see advances in multi-experience technology, such as virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, that sort of thing, over the next three to five years impacting how digital twins are created and operated? I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's probably the most powerful feature. That combined with AI probably gives us the most remarkable advantages in the years ahead. 
let's just think about something simple as designing a new product. So in the lifecycle management process, you start with how a thing looks and behaves. And if you think about the world in which we have lived in, it's getting better today in terms of our ability to imagine what something looks like in a new environment. But years ago, you sort of had to build a prototype to figure out how it would look and feel. Now we're getting better at placing new objects into a physical environment so we can see how it looks and when you get down into the weeds, how it integrates better and all that, how data flows. But now let's go one step further and say you can, as an engineer or a designer or even an end user, immerse yourself in that environment and pick up the product and spin it around or look at it from different angles, zoom in, zoom out. And then, of course, you have the simulation, which allows you to see it under a variety of conditions. This is going to give designers and all sorts of people who have input on how a product or machine should look and behave incredible new capabilities. The end result of these different realities plus artificial intelligence in digital twins is better, higher quality products and better experiences for end users. I'm pretty pumped up and excited about that potential of all the things, all the advantages that digital twin brings to the table, which is enormous. These ones for me stand out and are probably the most exciting to follow and experience in the years ahead. Gartner just released its 2020 top 10 emerging technologies and multi-experience was on that list. So Raja, the same question for you. How do you see these advances in multi-experience tech like VR and AR impacting digital twins in the near future? Yeah, and we're certainly utilizing VR quite a bit as it is now. But for the most part, that's right now is a visual experience. You know, over the next three to five years, I believe that there are going to be other sensory elements added to that virtual reality experience. You're going to get haptic feedback. So not only will I see something, but I'll have a glove or some other device that is actually giving me feedback as I interact with this virtual element. When I touch something, I can actually get that feedback acoustic feedback, environmental feedback. We're seeing a lot of use for VR in environmental health safety. When workers are training themselves to go under a hazardous environment, making sure that they are getting training that provides realistic scenario of what they're going to be facing. So temperature, humidity, et cetera. All those elements can also be added to that virtual reality component to give you not only the visual feedback, but haptic feedback as well. So I see that as a path that VR will be taking to go beyond where it is now. Then as you start extending into AR and MR, mixed reality, then the addition of that digital twin to be able to insert that digital element within the visualization is incredibly important. I kind of mentioned that flood modeling example where we have a digital twin of what's happening in terms of a river rising or something like that, where we have sensor input along with the modeling capabilities to then overlay that onto an image. Then as you start extending that into mixed reality, what is going to be happening, doing forecasting and predictions and having those digital elements actually appear within that AR environment to have digital objects interact with each other and really get you into that MR space. Paul, if you don't mind, I had two examples I wanted to add to that. One was uh, going back to the healthcare space we brought up earlier. Just imagine very complex brain surgery or other type of surgery that has to be performed and the entire medical team can work in a virtual environment to conduct the operation and practice it multiple times before they touch the patient. You can see right there why this kind of converged technology has real outcomes for us. The other one was, think about a city, a dense urban environment, and 
there maybe there's a piece of land that uses a parking lot and now there's going to be a 65-story building put in its place. One of the things you have to think about as an architect is, amongst many, many things, is shadow. And what happens at different times of the day when the sun is rising or setting? How does shadow play into the feel and experience of an urban environment? Again, whilst we've had some really good technology for this for the last few years, digital twins in combination with AI and these new realities are going to help us really make much better informed decisions about the urban experience based on being able to really experience what it feels like on the street a couple of years before one single brick has ever been laid for that building. Kind of a remarkable new human experience for us from this tech. It really does open up the realm of scenarios that you look at. You're, you look at so many more different options than you were in the past. I go back to us being able to touch the entire asset life cycle. So what Jonathan was just talking about there is on the planning side, before we really even get into more detailed design, how is this particular building really going to impact the surrounding area or within that block? In London, there's the rather large or rather tall building, the Shard, and understanding how that, what kind of shadow that casts, and being able to go through a different scenarios during planning, and then layer that into design, construction, and operation. The digital twin across that entire life cycle really allows us to look at so many different things that we couldn't have done in the past, just because we didn't have the human horsepower to do it. I want to thank you, Jonathan and Raja, for joining me and talking about digital twins. It's a very fascinating technology. I can just imagine that it's only going to just continue to really play an important role in urban development and healthcare, manufacturing, and all these different areas, and maybe even areas that we don't use it for now, but it might lend itself to. Thank you both for your insights.